Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. about Buddhism is since the beginning the sutras are filled with ranks and categories analysis we have the 10 this the 15 that in uh, traditional Buddhist philosophy they spoke of different kinds of practitioners the three personality types that are the subject of today's talk is a traditional category of Tendai Buddhism. But you know something about Zen folks is we always turn those categories and rankings on their heads. Up is down, the middle is all around. And we tend to see all of life like that. Now some people have looked at what we're going to read today and said that Kazan was speaking about three different types of Zen practice. But I have reason to believe, and I'm going to offer you some evidence, that it's a little more of a upside down and all around dance than just that. One reason is, as I said, that the Zen folks like Dogen, who, by the way, was Master Kazan's great Dharma grandpa. I'll talk about who Kazan was in a second. Master Dogen would say things like the future flows into the past. Shorai, kako ni Chuo, zentai desu. The middle is all around. The future flows into the past. We'll see there's even a section in today's talk where the beginner and the expert are all the same. But only the expert may be able to see it. The beginner sees differently and sees in the, in the way that there's a, an expertise to gain. But when he becomes the expert, he realizes that there was nothing to gain all along. Up is down, beginning is end, middle is all around. It's a little like the globe. You know, we have a globe in North America and Europe are on the top. Hi, Joyo. Good to see you. And Australia is on the bottom, but that's kind of for political reasons. Africa, Brazil are in the middle. But in space, where is the top of the earth? Where is the bottom? Why isn't Australia? Right, Bryson? Why isn't Australia on the top and Canada on the bottom? Sorry, Shingen. Why isn't, if you put it sideways, Brazil and Africa, why aren't they on the top? Well, today's talk is kind of like that. He's not talking that there's a, an advanced practitioner and a lesser practitioner. I think it's more a matter of sometimes one is on the top than the other is on the top. And really they flow into each other like the whole turning globe. 
Maybe all of the universe is like this, just one thing flowing into another. I was going to say that it was just like a big circle, but today we had a wonderful example by accident. I don't know if you guys could hear, but the Heart Sutra at the beginning here, we had some kind of amazing feedback. Do you guys hear that, or was it just here? Suddenly, Shugen is chanting, and then it's Shugen chanting into Shugen. The middle of the chant is repeating, and the end of the chant is coming back, and there are bells ringing, and there are drums, and there are drums within drums and bells, and I'm just trying to find where is the real Shugen. It was like being in a, a house of mirrors made of sound. I, I could kind of hear the Shugen in the middle. Shugen's coming and Shugen's going. One is flowing into the other. Well, I think today's talk is kind of like this. There's no up and middle and down, but it's really all these flowing into the other. Where ga shita ni naru, shita wa shiwo ni naru. Zentai wa ne nagari Mr. K is here, so I'm trying to pardon my bad Japanese. But this written by Keizan is hard even for Japanese to understand in the modern day because it's written in 13th century Japanese. And who was Keizan? He is the co-originator of Sotoshu in Japan. So when you see, I'll post this later, you see some pictures. You see Dogen sitting on one side of the Buddha and Keizan on the other side of the Buddha. And they're supposed to be co-equal. But really, Keizan was the fourth generation. He was the Dogen's successor, successor, successor. So why is he the co-founder? It's politics in the, in the Sotoshu. There was Aheiji, which was Dogen's temple. There was Sojiji, which was Keizan's temple. And Keizan was kind of the better, how to say, popularizer of Sotoshu. So Sojiji actually became more powerful and had more influence than Aheiji. And at a certain point, they became very competitive. And that went on for centuries. Sometimes they didn't even speak to each other. You think that all these Zen people would be beyond politics. But actually, like anything, Sometimes these two temples would compete. And finally they reached a compromise and they said, Keizan and Dogen will be co-equal. I happen to be the one that feels that, well, Keizan's a wonderful teacher. He's just one of the long sign of successors. But that, again, does not mean he's up or down. We're going to announce Jukai in a few days. And when you take Jukai, you receive the blood lineage chart. It shows... The, the lineage from the Buddha through India, China, Japan, America, or Europe, down to you. But then the line flows back to Buddha. Ketsumiyaku wa ne, otoke kara dogen eno zenji kedo otoki modoru. But really, it's a curving line where the top flows into the bottom. It returns to the source. It flows back to you. You flow into other ancestors. Where is the top? Where is the bottom? Where is the middle? All of life is like this. Where is the top of life? Jinsei no we. Jinsei no shita. Doko desu ka? Where is the bottom of life? 
Where's the top of the universe or the bottom? One flows into the other. And this is the image for today. So we're going to start reading. And first, I think Kazan is making a little fun of this traditional doctrine of three personality types. They're all on the top. The person who's Zazen is of the most profound type, has no interest in questions such as how the Buddhas appeared in this present world. Such a one doesn't speculate about the truths which cannot even be transmitted by the Buddhas and ancestors. She doesn't doctrinalize about all things being the expression of the self because she is beyond enlightenment and delusion. Perhaps this is a, the final most realized part of practice. It almost seems like Zazen, seated Zazen, is no longer necessary. You're just out in life. Zazen mo hichonai. Jinsei wa zentai Zazen. And there's no reason to philosophize. How many angels on the head of a pin? If an elephant climbs trees, is it a monkey? These are questions that, if we ask the question, they're just silly. The asking of the question makes the problem. So many Zen questions are resolved when we just drop the question. Where did the Buddha come from? Where does the Buddha go? Even the Buddha cannot express that. If you're on a mountain on a beautiful day and you're hiking, you and the mountain are one. You're walking up the mountain, but it feels like the mountain is also walking up you. All the scenery and all your heart. Walking, walking, walking. This is our practice. This is our life. At that point, do you start to ask questions like, where did this mountain come from? Why are there mountains? Is this mountain made of volcano or is this made of some other tectonic effect? Very interesting questions to ask sometimes. But at a certain point in practice, we just walk the mountain and the mountain just walks us. There's a time to drop all the philosophizing, all the arguing. Now, don't get me wrong, as in all things, there's also a time to study a little bit of Buddhist philosophy. There are doctrines we have, such as non-self, such as emptiness. And it's important to understand. So if you just sit Zazen without a little Buddhist study of the history of the doctrines, it kind of uh, is formless. They used to say that the old Zen masters would burn the books, but only after they'd read them. You would understand Buddhist philosophy, but don't become a prisoner. If you want to get to the mountain, yes, you need to look at a map to find the trail sometimes. You need to check the weather. Yes, of course, there are things, a little bit of study. But at a point when your practice is free, 
You don't need the books. You don't need the compass. You don't have to ask where the mountain comes from. You're free. This is something of what is being discussed here. She is even beyond enlightenment and delusion. Of course, when we practice, at the beginning we're deluded, we're filled with thoughts of anger, greed, we see the world in a dividing fashion. Me versus you, America versus Russia, Earth versus the Martians, whatever. We're always seeing the world divided. Me versus the table my knee broke, bumped into this morning. At a certain point in this practice, even enlightenment is so non-dualistic that this world of separate things is not separate anymore. The walker and the mountain and the trees and the wind are not two. Yama to, yama ningen to, ki to, kuki, sora. Everything is so whole that there's not even delusion and enlightenment. That's how whole it is. Even when distinctions appear, nothing obstructs him. Since his view never falls into dualistic angles, nothing obstructs him. Even when distinctions appear, there will still be tables to walk into. There will still be Russia and America. There will still be you and me. But even so, there's no obstruction. There are things that bother us. There's you and there's me. But nothing obstructs him, even when distinctions appear. She just eats when she is hungry. He just sleeps when he is tired. I would carry this over into other things in life to make it. When you're married, just be married. When you get divorced, just be divorced. When you're healthy, just be healthy. When you're sick, just be sick. When it's a cold day, just be cold. When it's a hot day, just be hot. When you are at work, be at work, and when you're playing with your kids, just be playing with your kids. We had a discussion in the Sangha this week about the things we should be doing while we're doing something else. I would say it's still hot, but even when distinctions appear, nothing obstructs it. Okay? So it seems like zazen is not necessary now, right? Maybe it's not quite so simple. Because when we go to the medium, which is the middle, which is all things, what do we find? The person whose zazen is of a medium type abandons everything and cuts all ties. In the forum we had 
a discussion. When is it right to have intensive zazen? Going to a monastery, practicing from morning till night. And when is it okay to sit zazen maybe a little lighter in daily life with another perspective? So now they're talking about maybe a little more intensive kind of practice. The person whose Zazen is of a medium type abandons everything and cuts all ties. Maybe he leaves his family, goes to a monastery. Throughout the day, she, it says she, but, uh, you know, those days it was all he, but she. In uh, truth, that's a correction that uh, is very modern. But there were women practitioners even back in the day, and monasteries for women since the Buddhist time. So, and in the Japanese, there's actually, I'm getting off into grammar now, but in the Japanese, there's actually no he or she. So this is actually correct. He and she. Keizan is speaking about he and she without distinction. There's no sexism here. Throughout the day, she is never idle. And so every moment of life, every breath is practice of the Dharma. The bell rings at 4 a.m. You wash your face. This is practice. You go to the toilet. You chant. This is practice. When you eat, orioki. Practice. You work in the field in hatake. Practice. 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 It's good. Every breath is practice of the Dharma. Or else, as an alternative, he might concentrate on a koan, eyes fixed, his view in one place, such as the tip of the nose. Kazan here is talking about the distinction that existed that time too. Some people would practice koan zazen. We're focusing on a koan to get satori, and they would say, keep your expression your phrase like moo, always with you, moo, 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 wake up, moo, in the middle of the day, moo, at the end of the day, moo. Some people say that this means that it's evidence that uh, Kazan was a koan practitioner. Probably not. Probably not. He was speaking of, in those days too, the Zen world was very mixed. But there are other sections where other writings by Kazan where he's recommending the practice very much of our Shikantaza. And he says, if you're going to focus on a koan, you should do it, for example, only when you're tired. When you're tired, you can do certain things to wake up. And he said, one thing is for a while, you may focus on a koan. So it does not seem that Kazan himself was a koan practitioner. Does it matter? No, because they're two different roads to the same thing. And here, there are koan practitioners who morning to night everything is mu everything is their practice there's a time for that too if you're doing that kind of practice considerations of life and death going and coming are not seen on her face throw them away all thought all distinctions out the mind of discrimination 
can never see into the deepest truth of Buddha nature. There is a reality to be revealed through our practice without the slightest distinction. All divisions, all separations are done away. There is no this, there is no that, there is no birth, there is no death. There's just move. There are times to practice in this way. An interesting thing about the grammar, while not thinking dualistically, he is not unenlightened. Some of the translations say he is enlightened, but if you actually look at the grammar and some of the other translations say he is not unenlightened. Why? If you just stay there in the world beyond all distinctions, beyond all separations, we say in Buddhism that's only 80%. In Zen, you have to come back to the world of distinctions with no distinctions, obstructions with no destructions, the delusion and the enlightenment as not to. Then we speak of enlightenment. Just to be in the world beyond all separation, beyond all two, where everything is no life, no death, that's not there yet. When you come back to the world of life and death and coming and going, and yet, and yet, in the midst of life and death and coming and going, there is no life and death and coming and going, then maybe you're getting someplace. From the far past up to right now, wisdom is always brilliant, clear, shining. The whole universe throughout the ten directions is illuminated suddenly from her brow. All things are seen in detail within her body. The walking body on the mountain, the mountain, the walking, Buddha, life, trees and birds, the body, the mind. No separation, not in the least. There are times in our practice we experience this. There are times of such deep intensity. There are these times. Does that mean that that is the best practice? Well, here it's in the middle. But sometimes it's the top. Sometimes it's the bottom. One thing flows into another. How about the so-called third type of practice, which is just ordinary, ordinary zazen. In our practice, again, remember, ordinary and extraordinary are not two. Ordinary mind and the Buddha's mind are not two. So ordinary zazen and the Buddha's zazen are not two. What is this ordinary zazen? The person whose zazen is just ordinary views all things from all sides and frees herself from good and bad condition, from the karma of good and evil. When we sit, we are somehow sitting beyond thoughts of this is good, this is bad, even in this world of good and bad. We don't judge.
Even then, there's good and evil in this world, good and bad things, hot and cold, life and death. But somehow when we sit Zazen, the mind naturally expresses the true nature of all the Buddhas because Buddha stands right where your own feet are. Thus wrong action does not arise. The hands are held in reality mudra. That is this, as we sit in Zazen, that expresses all reality. Again, a circle. Where does the circle begin? Where does it end? It all flows one into the other. And we do not hold on to any scriptures. The mouth is tightly closed as if the lips were sealed and no word of doctrine is spoken while we are sitting. The eyes are neither wide open nor shut. We neither chase after the world nor run away. Thus our eyes are neither open nor shut. Nothing is ever seen from the point of view of fragmentation and good and evil words are left unheard. The nose doesn't choose one smell as good, another as bad. We sit beyond good and bad. Even today, trucks passing, birds chirping, as I always say, when the birds are singing, that's the sound of the birds singing. When the truck is passing noisily and disturbing our zazen, that's the sound of the truck singing. The body is not propped up. The body relies upon nothing whatsoever. I think this is an image of just the balance of the body, whole, supporting and supported, rising from the ground. And we could say it's relying on the ground to hold it. But really, as we sit Zazen, we're not supported by anything but Zazen itself. Since delusion does not disturb the mind, neither sorrow nor glee appear. Sorrow and joy both drop away. There are happy times in life. There are sad times in life. And somehow as we drop that away in Zazen, I like to say there's a joy that manifests that holds all human sorrow and joy. It's a kind of Buddha smile as the tear rolls down your cheek. Just like a wooden carving of the Buddha, both the substance and the form are true. Worldly thoughts might arise, but they do not disturb because the mind is a bright mirror with no chase of shadows. You see, this is my other reason for believing that Kazan is not criticizing here. There's nothing in these words that's saying that this is a lesser type. He's saying this way is magnificent, and this middle way is wonderful, and this third way is fantastic. There's only superlative language here all through. So he's not saying that this lesser way is lesser. This is also amazing. Worldly thoughts might arise. Thoughts come in our zazen. But 
They do not disturb because the mind is a bright mirror with no trace of shadows. If you're not clear on what that mirror reference, go back, I think, two talks back. <laughs> two Zazenkai, two months ago, which was all about the mirror. The mirror, whatever you put in front of it, ugly thing, no judgment. It welcomes it. Beautiful face. No chasing after it. A picture of life, a picture of death, a picture of anything, all is held in the mirror. When we sit, our life becomes this mirror. And the mirror is not dull. The mirror is clear, boundless, shining, welcoming all. It's not a passive thing. It's all embracing. Keizan is not saying this is a lesser form of Zazen. This is also Zazen. Everything he's describing is Zazen. So then we come to the end where he focuses a bit on the precepts. You know, the monks in India take 200 and I think 37 precepts. I have to check that number. They have precepts about not to sleep on a certain kind of bed. They have precepts about not to be, how not to be in the same room alone with a woman. They have precepts about when to eat, what to eat, what to drink, what not to drink. Precepts on precepts. Probably because in those days, every time a monk broke a rule, they made a new rule. In the Bodhisattva Zen tradition in Japan, we've kind of reduced this to 16 precepts. We'll study this during Jukai, but it wasn't reduced. We like to say those precepts also hold everything. Just kind of a more, how to say, encompassing way of viewing the precepts. So all of it is in Zazen, for, because when you're sitting Zazen, a moment of Zazen, all the precepts are realized. There's no killing. There's no stealing. There's no lust or excess need. Sitting in the wholeness and completion of Zazen, there's no violence. All precepts are realized. Not one precept is broken. That's Kazan's point here. The precepts arise naturally from Zazen, whether they are five, eight, the great Bodhisattva precepts, the monastic precepts, the 3,000 rules of deportment, the 80,000 teachings, or the supreme dharma of the Buddhas and awakened ancestors. No practice, no teaching, no precept, nothing. No practice whatsoever can be measured against Zazen. All these arise from Zazen limitlessly. Should only one merit be gained from the practice of Zazen, it is vaster than the construction of a hundred, a thousand, a limitless numbers of temples and monasteries. Practice just sitting ceaselessly. Just do Zazen forever without ceasing. Doing so, we are liberated from birth and death and realize our own hidden Buddhist, Buddha nature, hidden but always right in front of our face. In perfect ease, go, stay, sit, and lie down. We sit Zazen, but then we get up and we sometimes when we're sick, we have to lie down. That's Zazen. When we're working, we're moving. That's Zazen. When we're walking up the mountain, Zazen. The four activities of going, staying, sitting, and lying are nothing but natural and unexcelled functions. Seeing, hearing, understanding, and knowing are all the natural display of the true nature, are all the light of 
original nature, natural manifestations of true self. From the first to last, mind is mind. There is no choice between the beginning mind and the ripened mind. Dogen would say, beginner's mind is the Buddha's mind. There's no place to go, nothing to attain. The expert's mind is all the Buddha's mind. The mind that has been practicing for 30 years, 50 years, many lifetimes perhaps. The expert's mind, all the Buddha's mind, no place to go, nothing to attain. But maybe the expert, because of all those years of practice, realizes that fact a little better than the beginner. The beginner doesn't realize he's Buddha all along. He needs to become a bit more expert to realize that he was the Buddha all along, even as a beginner. That's the expert. But, anyway, there is no choice between the beginning mind and the ripened mind. Beyond any arguments about knowledge and ignorance, just do Zazen with all of you, with all of who and what you are, never stray from it, never lose it. How can you stray from it? How can you lose it? You only lose it when you think you lose it. You only stray from it when your mind gets confused. But in fact, when your mind is clear, you realize it was never possible to stray from it at all. Kind of like being in a fog and wondering, where is New York City? And then the fog clears and you realize, oh, I was standing in New York City right here in Times Square all alone. When you're confused and you can't see it, you think you're lost. But you were never lost. You were always right there. So it is with our Zazen. And so the circle comes full. The end is, in fact, the beginning. If you practice this way, if you become that expert, perhaps you'll realize this. Going back to number one, since his views never fall into dualistic angles, nothing obstructs them, even when distinctions appear. She just eats when she is hungry. He just sleeps when he is tired. Koyu practice sureba, saisho kara modoru. Onaka ga suite toki ni tabinasai. Middle, round and round, top, bottom, middle, round and round, round and round. Zen teachers like to do this. I'm moving my hand in a big circle in the air for those on the podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.